Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. What is up, Fulios? I said Fulios that dated me. It's fine. It's okay. Uh, this is Chris Sinclair, your uh, co-host of the Good Bottle Podcast. And I am joined by my other co-host, Mr. Drew Garrison. Drew Garrison, how are you doing today, good sir? I'm really good. I think we're already off to a good start because we have the music going. So it's like the, the vibes are set. And we had a really exciting week as well. We launched our product line. So you guys can go out and you can you can buy a shirt that says self-proclaimed booze pundit, which I think is our our biggest contribution to the booze world, <laughs> right? Is that like is that phrase. I think it's so perfect. And it everybody in our industry can wear that shirt. And it says good bottle podcast on the back. So we did give ourselves a little rub. But um so it's 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 great. You can go to our Instagram, hit our link, hit our hit our link. It's going to take you right to it. Stuff we have we have a coffee mug on there. We have a fanny pack, which Chris thought was a bad idea. I think it's a great idea. It turned out really really amazing. Here's the thing: uh, and we have a sweatshirt I, and we have the regular shirt. The fanny pack is something that I I thought that we as a culture decided in the '90s was a terrible idea. We were like, yeah, let's try this out. We'll see how this works, and then we we're all like, "Nah, this is this is terrible. Let's not do this." And then uh, here we are. We got fucking fanny packs again. I think it's I think it's the thing like similar similar to me for like Aloha shirts, where you're kind of like they're so damn comfy that you shouldn't be wearing them, but you're going to because they're spacious, they breathe, and we're we're bringing them we're we're bringing them back. And I think with fanny packs. And also the fact that, you know, you have skinny jeans. It's like, dude, you need more space. You need more space for things. And then, and you know this, as somebody with a small child, it's like my daughter just hands me shit all the time. And it's like those pockets, they get full immediately. And I just, I'm like walking, I got toys in my pocket, I got all this stuff. But that's, all, all we're trying to say is go to our Instagram, click the link, buy some merch, because what I want to do with that money is I want to buy Chris a soundboard for this podcast. Because I think it would make it a lot easier on him. And you guys have no idea how hard this kid works every single episode to then mess up the sound. So <laughs> I think I think this will help. And then just so you know, in terms of like pricing and stuff like that, um, if anybody wants to start their own, their own merchandise thing, I can help you out. It was actually really easy. And we set it up to where we're only making $5 an item, okay? So it's not like if you see prices, you're like, this is ridiculous, which I don't think they are. But we're making 5 bucks an item, so we got a while to go. And we're going we're gonna to buy Chris a soundboard. So that's why we launched the merch. We want people to rock it around town, of course, and all, ar- all around in the 10 different countries that we stream in. And we also want people, um, we also want people to, to support Chris in his quest to nail the soundboard. But let's move on. Let's move forward. I'm going to constantly be plugging our merch forever. Tonight's guest, or today's guest, depending on when you're listening, is joining us all the way from across an ocean. So if there's ever any delays, it's science's fault. 
Um, some people refer to him. Yeah. So, some people refer to him as the songbird of the islands. Um, we know him as the owner operator of pint and jigger and Harry's hardware emporium. He also moonlights as an angel's envy ambassador for the great state of Hawaii. Our guest tonight, Dave Newman, brother, bra, Aloha, thank you for coming tonight. I, I got so excited when you started talking about Aloha shirts, so I'm, I'm so stoked to be here, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> of course, of course. So, so brother, um, you know, you're, you're, you're joining us from, from across the ocean. You guys have been through a whole lot with COVID, just like the rest of us. So tonight we're, we're, we're relaxing. We're going to talk some top stories. We're going to have some fun. We're going we're gonna to get a little bit of escapism going. So tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners at home. And then what are you drinking? Absolutely. Um, I've unfortunately been in the industry for over 25 years. Um, I met Chris at Portland Cocktail Week probably about a decade ago. Um, developed a great friendship with him. Uh, transferred out to Hawaii with Nobu. Um, worked out here with them for about eight years and then opened Pint and Jigger and Harry's. Um, we closed uh, for COVID and we're going to reopen at the, probably the end of July, early August. So super stoked on that. Um, other than that, I picked up some side hustle with the Angels Envy. Um, it's always been a brand I enjoyed. So when they came to Hawaii, they, they took all the bartenders out for a night of uh, overconsumption. And, uh, they were asking me who they thought would be good to represent the brand out here. And I'm just like, me, pick me. Um, so it worked out and it's been, it's been an awesome <laughs> job. Um, I love the fact that we don't call ourselves ambassadors. We call ourselves whiskey guardians. And at first I thought it was really cheesy, but then after having, you know, gone through the training and stuff, it's, it's more that they just want us to be ambassadors for the entire category and not just for the, for the brand itself. So yeah, brings me here to the day with you guys. And then as That's far as awesome. what I'm drinking, I mean, we're also, you know, we're, we're big fans. Thank you. Um, I am drinking, uh, one of these makers, 46, the, uh, the ones you put the staves together. Uh, we have a little whiskey buying group. We call it a Hawaii whiskey mafia. Uh, so I'm drinking a Hawaii whiskey mafia. Uh, we got, uh, a good amount of mocha staves in here. So it's got a, a good amount of, uh, cacao notes to it um and then obviously a cash drink so she uh she goes about 107.7 cheers yummy cheers you know uh um uh adding on top of the fact that i've known dave for probably about a decade and we've been homies pretty much since the moment that we met each other very similar to you and i drew um uh, it's nice to know that I'm the common denominator in people getting along in this world. So that's great. Um, but we've, uh, 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 Dave is also, um, without exception, one of my wife's favorite people, like hands down. Um, so she was very excited when I heard that, uh, Dave was going to be on the podcast night. Uh, point in fact, she did not ask me if I was going to be loud. She did not ask me, um, you know, 
to keep it down. She just said, just tell Dave that I love him. So there you go. She is the best. She is the best. You know, it's not, it's not often we have people that we really, really love as our friends. And then it's amazing when they meet somebody and, and connect and that person's equally as amazing. So please, please give my love to her as well. Well, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, Jen, Jen's the best. And I was really excited, uh, Dave, when you said yes to, to doing this with us. I know for, for myself, you know, Chris, Chris is the link between us. I was going to Hawaii for the first time a few years back. And I reached out to you and was like, hey, you know, uh, I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm going to be coming out. Like, you know, where do I need to go? And you, uh, at the very beginning of the email, you're like, hey, don't show this to anybody because at the time you were like the president of the BG out there. And you're like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. But then you just reel off this incredible list of things on almost on, on both islands that I was going to be on. And like, you know, this is where you go for breakfast. This is where you go for lunch. This is where you go for drinks. This is this is what luau you do. You do this, you do this, you do this. And then so it gets to the very end and it's like, and by the way, do not share this with anybody like and um, and I just thought that was that was so great. And it's and it's a list that I actually I have saved on my computer because um, because now that I've I've been, you know, uh, a few times people now ask me like they make the association. So I like I go through your list and I'm like, if I haven't been there yet, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, then there's also this place in in that place. So um, so that list lives on. But I uh, I make sure not to do the full copy and paste out of uh, respect for your wishes. And then we actually finally got to meet on my most recent trip, which was which was really cool. Um, we did a uh I I packed my bag full of a bunch of random Mexican spirits, like six or seven of them, and was out, outside of having a two-year-old on a plane or, yeah, at, at the time, like I was also freaked out about all these bottles in my bag and they made it out safely to the island. I got to go and I got to meet a bunch of bartenders out there and it was super fun. And you hosted at at your bar. It was great. And so... Um, I have nothing but great things to say about you as well, even in our little limited interaction. So I'm very excited for tonight and all that fun stuff. But I want people to know, like, this is the type of person that you are. He's super dope. He has great recommendations. And like, when the bar opens up, I can't wait to get back out there and visit. Yeah, if any if any of the listeners are coming out, hit me up. Um, I'll sure you guys will pass on my email and I'll, I'll share the updated list with anybody that wants it. Uh, Chris, what are you, what are you sipping on? Oh man. Uh, so this evening I, uh, racked my brain. I was like, okay, what's going to be great. I I have a bottle of whiskey that I've been saving and, uh, that I've been meaning to drink sort of like the last like four episodes and I keep, uh, putting it off, put it off because every episode, I feel like I come across something that's a little bit more appropriate for the episode. And specifically this episode, again, I put it off because I've found the perfect bottle. What I have here tonight is uh, a bottle of Angel's Envy that uh, we bottled uh, when I was the president of the SAC BG. You'll see here we have the the OG uh, SAC BG logo on it. That's Um, and uh, what's really what's really fun about this is as we blended this 
Um, and if you add up uh, those of you who are watching on uh, the videos, if you add up those percentages of the blending, uh, this is the mythical uh, 101% whiskey. Uh, there is uh, somehow oh, so extra good. whiskey in this bottle that doesn't exist anywhere else. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and uh, what's also great about this is this is uh, original Lincoln Henderson juice. Uh, we bottled this uh, fucking nine years ago, eight years ago. Um, this is a great, uh, great bottle of whiskey. I, I ended up with like cases of these. I still have a case in my garage. Uh, this is a bottle that's been sitting on my bar for a long time. I've been looking for a reason to crack it open. And, uh, tonight's the perfect way to, uh, reason to crack that open. It's, uh, it, it crosses a lot of borders here for me. Um, checks a lot of boxes, but, uh, angels envy that's, uh, that's Dave right there. And uh, USBG, which is also at the same time, that's uh, that's Dave. Me and me and Dave go way back, especially in terms of being presidents of their of our local chapters. I know I don't talk about it a lot on this podcast, um, but uh, it was an integral part of my learning and uh, my indoctrination into Sacramento and the community um, and running that chapter. So uh, I know Dave and I, uh, we often commiserated together and complained together and uh, planned together and strategized together. So uh, this bottle of whiskey is uh, is a perfect example. And uh, Dave, I, I got a bottle for you, man. It's coming your way. That's that's awesome, man. Cheers. What you drinking, Drew? Drew, what are you drinking? Well... So, so before, before I get to the thing that I'm drinking, I just want to, I'm, when Dave was describing what he was doing earlier and as a guardian of whiskey, I love the fact that he then was like, you know, we're an ambassador for all whiskey. And then I was like, oh my God, is he about to say that? And then show a bottle of Angel's Envy. And he didn't to his credit. Like he went with the 46, which was, which was really great. So I'm so happy that then Chris has the Angel's Envy to be like, and then here's the Angel's Envy. So it's like, yes, we really are. We really are raising it for everybody else. Uh, <laughs> so I'm really happy with how that worked out. But uh, I did not go the whiskey route tonight. I don't think we planned that. Or fortunately, depending on it. No, it was just – it was natural. It was a very natural thing that occurred, which I love. Um, so um, I'm actually going with with a brand that you know that I work with, and uh, but I don't know if I've ever actually had it on the podcast. And um, what it is is the Real Monero Pachuga, and uh, you know Real Monero is this really, really, really dope um, mezcal out of Viñas, and you know Pachugas we have talked about on on the show quite a few times, but you know that's while well, during the distillation process they will either have meat suspended over the top of the distillate during either second or third distillation, or they'll put like it, they'll put it directly into it. And um, this is, this is the newest release from Real Monero. And, you know, they're a very small producer, like they do less than 5,000 liters a year. And uh, I was looking at the bottle. I was like, I had had it. And I was like, Oh yeah, it's super good. And it's just kind of what you expect when it comes to Real Monero, right? Is that they make really, really good mezcal. What I didn't realize was this is actually a collaboration between um, Don Lorenzo and his son, Edgar. And what makes that really interesting and makes it special is that Don Lorenzo actually passed away about four and a half years ago. So his batches were sitting in glass and then Edgar 
took those and made them into a pachuga. So it's really this collaboration between father and son that happened years apart. And I just think that's so cool. And it just really kind of, you know, speaks to the romanticism of, of mezcal and stuff. And, and fortunately at the end of the day, it tastes fucking great. So, um, so they did a good job. It's got a really cool story. Uh, on the back of the bottle, you see both father and son on it, which is really, really cool. Uh, I just, and it, it's just one of those things that sometimes I, sometimes I just take my portfolio for granted, right? Where it's like, I have so much cool stuff and it's kind of hard to keep up with. And then, you know, something like this, which I've had for a while and I've actually, and I've actually tasted, but I never looked at the bottle. I never thought to look at the bottle. And it was just like, oh, by the way, this is also just super dope because of the family, you know, ties and the way that they went about it. And I wish that I would have been talking about that a lot longer, giving them credit for doing something super, super cool. So, um, so that's what I'm going to be sipping on tonight is uh, the Real Monero Pachuga, which is super fun. Is this uh, is this right, a unicorn yeah, or is this something uh, that's purchasable? Oh yeah, you can still get it. Yeah, which is great. I mean. Sometimes with the Real Moneros, you know, uh, they they go so quickly that, you know, you, just, you never have a shot at them. And so um, this was a bottle that I had been I had been setting aside some coins for to go and purchase. <laughs> so as soon as uh, as soon as I had I got the right paycheck and I was like, yes, I'm going to go buy this bottle. Like, uh, but yeah, we still have we still have a few left, um, you know, and again, California gets a pretty good number of allocated bottles from them so so we're pretty lucky but yeah they're before you know it they'll they'll be all gone so you know visit your local liquor store visit good bottle he'll order it for you goddamn right cheers uh chris do you think it's time for uh our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources drew i'm always ready to share my opinion everybody we did the news thing twice because this is a story that we have covered before and we're total professionals so um just so you guys know dave's considering starting a podcast he's like i might have some questions for you guys i was like you might want to watch us go through this first before you start asking us questions about how to do this (laughs) um but uh so so again we are are revisiting what's that time to talk about buying merch to get the, uh, the soundboard oh yeah see there you go that's that's what it is. That's why we need a soundboard, guys, because it would make our lives a lot easier. You just hit it once, hopefully. Of course, we'll find new problems when it comes here. But um, but former story, one of our favorite people, uh, or not favorite people, depending on how you look at it, Rudy Kurnawan. Kurnawan uh, was Kurnawan. There you go. See that? There's my interpreter. Um, was finally deported this month, and if you guys don't remember. Old Rudy was the guy who was the star of the Sour Grapes documentary where he was bottling fraudulent wine and selling it for millions and millions of dollars. He peaked in 2006 when he sold $34 million worth of fake wine in two separate auctions. And we also, you know, so we, you know, 
again, with the documentary, a lot of people are more aware of it. But then also um, earlier this year, he had made the request to fly first class back to uh, back to Taiwan. And um, that was denied. He ended up flying coach out of Dallas. So so at least, you know, the government did something right. But um, but it doesn't it doesn't seem like this story is really going to ever be over. He still has a couple of different pending lawsuits and he returns to a family who is very affluent in the country. And so a lot of people are actually concerned that this is just the start of another ring of potential fraudulent activity. So Dave, I'm going to start with you. Uh, when I reached out, you know, you're like, I'm very, I'm very familiar with the story and everything like that. Well, why don't you just give us your thoughts on it? And do you think Rudy's done? Or do you think that we're going to see the, uh, the sour grape guy come back into our lives at some point? I, I have a feeling that Rudy is not done. Um, there are uh, tales that, you know, what they talked about in Sour Grapes of his family also ripping off a few banks in Taiwan. Um, but I, I'm surprised nobody hired him. I mean, the guy apparently has one of the most ridiculous palates you could possibly ever have. He's able to blend junk wine to make it taste like crazy old world $20,000 bottles. I feel like we could get this guy a legitimate job at a blending house and, and let him just crush. But I don't I don't think he's done. Uh, I feel like it's too easy to set up shop somewhere else and, and, and hit the market from another angle. You know, and then it's not just it's not just wine. Uh, you know, the number one counterfeited spirit in the world is Johnny Walker Black, which blows my mind because it's what, like a $30 bottle of blended whiskey. But apparently it's the most counterfeited spirit <laughs> on the market. So I, I feel like he might just be getting started. I love how you have like a redemption story like set for him that like, you know, a lot of people are kind of like F this guy. And you're like, this dude's palate rocks. Like, let's get this man a job, like doing dope stuff. I think that's, that's so great. That's such a great perspective to take towards it. Um, you you, you so, guys remember the movie? You guys remember the movie Catch Me If You Can, right? The the Leo DiCaprio movie. Of course. Like in yeah, my yeah. in my Definitely. mind, this was this was always sort of like the the end story or like the 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 arc of of the hero story of Rudy Cornelian, right? Like he would eventually end up working for an anti um, uh, counterfeiter you know, office because he's the guy, right? Like someone can pay him a ton of money, legit money to catch other counterfeiters. Cause he's the guy who did it better than anyone else. Yeah. I wonder like though, in that situation, it's, it's just kind of like, if you're, if you're one of those millionaires, like one of the Koch brothers who got, who got screwed over by him, it's like, it's like, okay, Listen, I know that I sued you for lots of money and I wanted your I wanted all of your, you know, compatriots and stuff like that, but I'm having a party on Friday. There's a lot of expensive wine going around. Can you come in and just try it and let us know if it's legit or not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll start so, working off your debt. <laughs> it's such a weird conversation. <laughs> just, I mean, be like just getting it's, your it's photo like next to like a poison tester. 
I just love that certified by Rudy. It, it could be you know, it. like, yeah, totally. That why that could be gotta, its own San Francisco Spirits competition medal. Is like this is certified by Rudy. This is legit. I gotta ask though, like, is there is there a a more hated villain in this in like the the spirits and wine industry right now? Is there anybody else that you could you could name that would even be on the same sort of like same level? I mean, for me, it's George Clooney, but wow. I think oh. it's a good thing you're already I married. I think for every, yeah, I think for everybody else, yeah, because I mean, I mean, well, no, I, I, and this kind of goes back to the Psalm world, right, where you have you have like the master court of Psalms is like under a lot of scrutiny right now, just because of their business practices over, over their lifetime. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, Rudy really kind of shined a light on what a bunch of bullshit all this stuff is, right. That he was able to take young California wine and blend it with mid range French wine and like trick Psalms all over the world. And with people with refined palates and it kind of, it pokes a lot of holes in people's, you know, I guess, uh, claim to fame, you know, you know, I, I've actually talked to, uh, a, a few bartenders who've worked some of those parties and have tasted some of his wine over, over the years. And without, without fail, every single one of them was like, yeah, you know, that that wine wasn't really good, but we weren't, we didn't feel like we were in a place that we could say anything, you know, like we didn't feel like we were empowered. You're sitting in a room with like millionaires and people who like, you know, you've got it, you've got to impress and you've got to like keep them feeling good about coming back to your restaurant. And, and this fool brings a lot of people in. Uh, they're like, why would we rock the boat? He's making us a lot of money. Well, and on top of that, like, why would anybody admit to liking his wine now? Like, what's the, like, of course, if I'm one of those bartenders, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, it totally sucked. Like, I would not, I would not, I would not admit to being like, I thought it was okay. (laughs) Uh, Dave, I have a question for you. Do you think that if someone presented you with counterfeit Johnny Walker Black, do you think you'd be able to identify it? No. I'm I'm fairly certain I wouldn't be able to. I don't have I don't I drink every time I drink it I I drink it in a highball, and I just I feel once you you know neat tasting I don't taste it often enough to to be able to pick it out. So so one of the things that that I've always felt is you know when you get when you get to a certain point in this industry and you get to a certain level, there's not a whole lot of winning that you can do in a blind tasting because if you have to like guess a bunch of stuff like you're pretty much only going to look bad and damage your reputation but if you had to do a blind tasting and and i'm I'm going to start with you chris what flight of spirits do you feel the most confident in blind tasting and getting them right okay there's um a few questions that I have to ask are, are we, uh, are we nailing down like year and distillery and, you know, a specific mark? Like, okay, this is a 97 Johnny Walker black 
or, or is it like, okay, this is a Highland, this is a, this is a blended scotch. This is, uh, are we going all the way through like we would with like a master sommelier sort of blind tasting? No, I would go, I'll go as basic as like no years. Cause I think that's ridiculous, but definitely like, you know, type, maybe region brand. Like, could you, could you pick out brands? So with that, being I would the case, go, I, I, I'd probably go scotch on that um, because the, the field is small enough and you have enough diversity in the uh, within that small field that gives you at least an, an inkling as to which direction to head as you're as you're sort of deducing and uh, working the grid, as it were. OK, uh, Dave, what about you? I might actually, if I got to go into the spirits world, I might pick Agricole because it's the most terroir driven. And I feel like you could really start to pick out the terroir differences. That'd be wild if you could do that. I I, I want to see this. That's what I would pick. <laughs> 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 well, like I said, I mean, you get to a certain point and there's just, there's not a whole lot of upside outside of like, you just kind of looking silly. Um, right. I so, mean, that, so maybe, yeah. all said, it's like, it's an exercise I love going through. I like, I love doing blind tastings and I love doing it amongst colleagues. I love like the shit talking while you're going through it because there's, it's so hard to know. It's so hard to know it, like, because so much of of your of your experience is staring at a bottle while you're drinking like even now like out of out of eyesight of the camera and everything i've got the bottle in my glass and i i look at the bottle every time i touch the glass it just it it creates its own part of the experience and i i do it without even thinking right like so when you're just sitting there and you have this liquid in your glass and god forbid if it's like a dark glass and you can't look through it and you can't see legs and you can't see, you know, if all of that, it's like totally blind and all you're doing is just dealing with your palate. You're fucked, man. Like there's no way you could do it. And, and it's always so funny because like all this stuff gets held up with like, um, you know, Oh, sommeliers, you know, you put it, put a wine in a, in a bag and you give it to them. They can't tell the difference. Like, of course you can't fucking tell the difference. You tell the difference between chicken and pork when you do that. Like I, like you can't do it. It's hard. There's so much of our experiences that are in our nose and in our eyes and in our ears and fucking the grease that's on our fucking fingers. Like it's like, it's impossible. You know, it's a really, really hard, uh, uh, exercise to go through and i strongly suggest everybody do it because it's just fun like enjoy not being good at something for once you know like we, all these people out here pretending to be experts with shit like just enjoy falling on your ass a little bit and just enjoy the fucking ride you know just just enjoy an oversized gorilla fighting a radioactive lizard that's what we're trying to say here okay well, that was a nice little plug. Kong for your versus movie. Godzilla is a is a fun movie. Okay, stop criticizing it. Um, actually, so Dave, this actually brings brings up a question that that I had for you. So, at at, at Pint and Jigger Bar, it is it is a primarily like a craft 
driven bar. Um, you guys have lots of like really classic cocktails or you had lots of classic cocktails. I'm sure that'll be the case again in lots of innovative bar programming as well. When people come into Hawaii, they're, they're obviously expecting a certain thing, right? They're expecting the Hawaiian Mai Tai and all that different kind of stuff. I mean, when you were, when you were putting together your, your bar, and again, like we're talking about perception about like what your expectations are versus what, what you get, like what were some of the struggles or what are some of the struggles as a, as a bartender and as a bar owner in Hawaii that doesn't have like something on the beach and doesn't have the, the, the boat cocktails and stuff like that? Yeah. So it's a really good question. We, when we opened Pint, uh, we actually went the opposite direction. We tried to make it an escape from Hawaii for a few hours. So we, we never served a dish with rice. We never did poke. We never did loco moco. We never did, uh, you know, seven different versions of, of a Mai Tai. We stuck with a classic Trader Vic's Mai Tai for, for our recipe. I, I once carbonated a Mai Tai when I got really crazy and put it on top. But um, we really moved, like tried to go away from that. And when we opened, we, we were incredibly focused on craft beer and whiskey. Uh, at the time, everybody here thought, oh, it was stupid. They were like, uh, why don't you just sell flavored vodka and make money? Um, you know, whiskey just wasn't a thing out here at that time. So we kind of, we, we built the bar more for locals that wanted to feel like they had a chance to escape to like a bar they would find in Los Angeles or San Francisco or New York or Chicago. Um, so we, we kind of just went the opposite direction in that. I think the challenges if you actually dive into that are 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 incredible <laughs> and not something i would really cherish i've done a lot of it with consulting gigs but um to actually be the owner and operate it every day would be would be pretty brutal and then in terms of like selection you know you guys obviously being on on an island like what are what are some of the challenges that you face because you know, you don't have Rudy out there who's blending all these whiskeys together for you to make you all these different flavor profiles. But it's like, what, I mean, is is there anything that you found particularly challenging about getting certain whiskeys and stuff like that? So it, it's everything. Like the the core group of people that are into the, the craft scene here, we've just, we've hit the suppliers up. Uh, it took us three years of begging to get Carpano Antico when we had all gone to the mainland and tasted it, we were like, this is something we should have. And we all started begging and three years later it landed on the Island. So every, every product that we end up asking for that eventually gets here is, is like a small victory. And we have a, a huge appreciation for them. Um, currently uh, for the last eight years, I've been trying to get the bonded old granddad. We only get the 114 and the 86, I think. Um, but we don't get the 100 proof. And for some reason, they just won't bring it. I know it's a small example, but it's uh, it's pretty much every product is become sort of a begging match. And unfortunately, we, we basically have to do the distributor's job for them. So I'll go to Southern Wine and Spirits and say, uh, I have eight placements at the eight best bars. They've all agreed to pick up this product. If you guys can bring it in, you'll have an immediate jump on, on your job. <laughs> That is wild. I cannot even. I wish my accounts did that. Jeez. 
What showed you appreciation? Oh, just like went and got me a bunch of placements and was like, hey, by the way, I got seven of my closest friends. We're all going to carry your shit. So, oh, fuck you. I'm not doing your job. Thing. <laughs> but I mean, uh, we'll, we'll come. Okay. To- so, to. We'll go to- and we'll, we'll try these amazing products. You know, you just showed us this dope bottle of, of the Pachuga. Unlike if I tried that while I was traveling and I wanted to bring it into Hawaii, I, I mean, I would basically have to go do the legwork for the brand to get it, to get the placements here so that it would make sense for you guys to ship it out. Yeah. 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 It's, it's brutal. Um, Okay, so to, to, I want to wrap up. I want to wrap up Rudy's story. So I have one more question for the both of you. Um, hypothetically speaking, of course, what do you think Rudy's going to do for his next big scam? So, Dave, I'm going to start with you. I feel like he's so good at like the printing, like the old documents kind of thing. I could see him doing like old old bonds. Like, oh, I just found these old bonds in my grandma's attic um i'd like to go cash them at my bank <laughs> good chris what do you think i think he's going legit man i think he's starting his own wine company i think he's i think he's gonna Maybe. i think you know I think like the the sale of like yo this guy was so good he fucked everybody over now he came out with his own wine. Let's get it. It's ten bucks a bottle. What's up? <laughs> right? Or, you know, and he and comes out with a grocery store wine that just crushes. I can see it. I can see it. I like what do it. you think? What do you think, Drew? Oh, I think he's going to infiltrate the Baijiu market. That's what's next for him. He's taking over Baijiu. Is that? I love it. Is that a market ready for? Uh, <laughs> ready for duplicate wines or duplicate baijus? Yeah, I mean, think about some of the baijus that we see here that are like super expensive. He's going to recreate those ones, and he's going to make he's going to do high end baiju, but it's really going to be like five dollars is what it should cost. That's where that's where Rudy's going. He's going into the counterfeit high end baiju market. That's a good call. I, uh, I, I'm excited to see where this, uh, where this lands. And, uh, for our listeners out there, definitely believe like this is a, this is a villain that, that, uh, Drew and I are very into. We love our action movies. We love our, our, our like espionage movies. And, uh, Drew's definitely a comic book fan. So, uh, Rudy, Rudy fits all of these marks, man. He checks all these boxes. So we're going to follow this and, uh, Believe me, if he makes a move, you'll know. Yo. Uh. All right, so now it's time for some some feel-good stuff and uh, people actually improving their lives after potential jail time and uh, crazy stuff. The Molson Coors uh, company bought a minority share in a craft brewery that is staffed by rival gang members. Um, True Colors Brewery, which is in Wilmington, North Carolina, has been around for the past few years, and they currently um, employ 55 people 
that were former gang members. And the TRUE, which is T-R-U, stands for Truth, Responsibility, and Unity. And um, it's not only just that, but it's contributing back to their uh, communities and really building them up every way that they possibly can. And um, this was a really great article that was featured in Forbes over the past week. Uh, Of course, we're going to talk about it, but this is, I think, the one time that I think everybody needs to go and read this article because it is that good. And there's just more and more things that have been coming out of this that I think are awesome. So, uh, Chris, when you read this, what were some of your thoughts? I have uh, uh, sort of opposing thoughts on this. A, the way that this was written, um, and especially from a Forbes article, uh, and I I sort of understand the narrative, but there was a very distinct white savior sort of uh, vibe to this to this article that kind of bothered me. Uh, you know, you got this like this uh, middle aged white dude who's done incredibly well, who started this thing, and now Molson Coors also Coors family being exceptionally white and being very right wing. So so much so that like. Uh, one of the Coors brothers was was kicked out of the the family business when he ran for politics because his politics were so far off the off the radar. Um, so I, there's a little bit of that on that and on this story, and especially it being come it coming out of Forbes, which speaks to a very specific demographic, um, kind of irked me. That being said. Once I got into the into the sort of the meat and potatoes of this story, it was it's definitely a feel good story, man. I mean, you follow the character, um, uh, but they uh, through at least his experience, and they they talk about how how the brewery is started, how it runs, the on onboarding. which is incredibly impressive. It's a two month long process of onboarding new employees that have approximately 80% make it through um, on day one while they start training, they're getting paid 30 K, which is incredible. Um, and then as soon as they're done with it, their salary jumps up five grand for 55 employees. That's amazing. That's like, that's a, that's a real deal. Like you have to, you have to have, a pretty much a guaranteed output at that point in time. So Molson Coors coming in as a minority owner and not a majority owner, which I think is really key and a very important um, uh, a detail here is, Hey, we're going to support you. We're going to give you our, uh, our network, our infrastructure um, and our backing to do this right. You know, and I think that that's kind of a, I think that that was kind of a big deal. Plus, on top of that, it gives all of these all of these active gang members a a little access due to the fact that it's you know it's synergy, it's it's companies coming together, working together, and therefore the network and networking between people and employees and community grows. Uh, outside of just like the you know their neighborhood, so I I really enjoyed this story a lot. Um, with the caveat of what I said, like that white white savior complex sort of narrative that uh, sort of undertone to to this, especially coming out of Forbes, really bothered me. 
but the story is really cool, man. And and honestly, uh, True Colors, I would love to find a way to support this brand. Um, that was my initial thought was like, dope. Like these guys need placements. Like we need to keep this program going. We need more programs like this. So we need this to be a roaring success. So more people um, can find ways of doing good through entrepreneurial methods. Yeah, there was, I, I, I understand what you were saying, you know, kind of the, at the beginning of the article, there's a, there's a section where the guy is quoted as being like, I didn't know that there were gangs here. And it just was like a little tone deaf and kind of like, like, okay. But the big difference being that he went actually and did something and not just was just kind of like, Oh, there's, those are, there's gangs here. Okay. And they moved on with his life. So I think that it starts off with a weird tone, but then it immediately shifts. It's a really good article. Um, Dave, what about you, man? What, what were some of your thoughts on this when you, as you were reading through it? So I, and I was, I was pretty blown away. Um, and it, it touched back to a, an older article that I read with um, Molson Coors during during all the uh, you know the Black Lives Matter protests. Um, they came out and they're like, "We want to support our communities. In the next two years, we're going to have twenty five percent of our employees um, being um, of color, um, and then they were going to donate up to three million, or they were going to donate at least three million dollars uh, to progressive equality things." So it just made sense when then connected it to this article of like, oh, you're going to help support uh, the black community. Um, and also brought up a really good point of like for the longest time, we basically just have a, a bunch of white brewers brewing beer for everybody. Um, so it's dope to get some to get some equality in, in that facet. And then I love the fact that uh, I mean, George Taylor, the you know, he the founder of untapped and he's just an absolute beast in the entrepreneurial world. Um, the fact that he brought on uh, Brian Fever from Deschutes, he was the brewmaster for like 20 years. So it's not, they're like taking it really seriously. So I, I assume they're going to put out some dope stuff. Um, I did check the website and the only beer that they, they have up right now is, is like a true light, like a, a easy drinker, but I'm excited to see what they do. Um, I thought I thought it was super rad. I definitely thought it, like you said, it was a little tone deaf in the beginning. But I think if the if it does good, then I'm all for it. One of my one of my favorite yeah, aspects of this, uh, uh, one of my favorite aspects of the story, sorry, Drew, is um, uh, like like Dave said, it touched on the fact that there's a, a you know beer is essentially brewed from white brewers for white people to drink. And this is, uh, you know, a beer brewed by people of color for people of color, which seems like such a silly thing if you're not someone of color, right? Like if you don't have that that experience, if that's not your life, then like why would you think of that? You know, why would why would that matter? But it, but it matters. Um, and Drew and I have talked about this in multiple occasions. Um, and we've always been proponents of let's bring in more voices. Let's change the scene up. Like let's, let's stop giving the same people access. Um, let's grow the access. Let's change the narrative. Let's grow the narrative, not change it, not shift it, but like, let's grow it. Let's add more voices to it. So the way it becomes more interesting. Then we all get to drink more interesting shit and everybody learns from each other. And I think this is just like another really great example of like, 
let's start something new. And in like 10 years, they might come up with something that's fucking rad, or they might inspire somebody else that comes up with something that just like changes the entire game. You know, 10 years ago, we were all drinking fucking blue moon. Now we're all drinking. Now all the beer drinkers are drinking fucking hazy IPAs, right? Like what's next? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, that was a really cool part of it. I mean, and there was, there was a couple of references throughout where people talked about historically gangs were kind of like in leadership roles in different communities and stuff like that. It wasn't necessarily all the negative connotations that a lot of people make with it. Now it was like, that was kind of, they were the OGs of the neighborhood. They were the people who kind of ran stuff because a lot of those communities didn't trust police and that hasn't changed, but that was, that was kind of the, the thing there as well. And, and yeah, I think that adding to the diversity and being exposed to more, you know, people's experiences and stuff like that too. It's, I, I think as I was reading the story about one of their brewers, I mean, it's just like everybody else, you know, it's like he didn't have any experience. So what did he do? He went in, interned at a bunch of different places. It was like, I just, I'm just trying to learn. I have a buddy who's a brewer up in Washington and he did, you know, the exact same thing. It's like, you have all these different interests um, and different experiences. Like the more that we can bring into the fold, let's do it. Like let's start that conversation because it, I think it's really easy. I mean, especially for all of us, especially on this, on this podcast right now, it's a bunch of white guys talking about this where it gets really, really easy to kind of overlook that stuff and be like, Oh, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And even though sometimes like you, you, you do have to make that conscientious effort to include those other voices because I don't have the same experiences and I'm not always thinking of those things. And, and I, and I love that it's becoming more and more accessible to where we do have those voices where it's not like a big deal to be like, Oh, this is, this is really cool. It's a black brewer and stuff like that. Like we want to get to a point where we, that's completely normalized. And it's just another part of the conversation. And it's not like a, it's not just some part of some woke movement or any of the other bullshit that gets thrown in our faces. Anytime you try to include a new voice, you know, it's just like, no, this is how the world should work. You should have people with different experiences and all this different stuff. So I, I was like, like I said, I, I read the story and there's, there's programs that they do within the brewery where I think it is, hold on, let me check my notes here. Every six months they switch up their teams. Right. So these rival gang members, like they don't just like fall back into clicks and stuff like that. Like they have, they're forced to interact with each other. They're forced to do different projects and they, you know, and they celebrate victories, whether it's, you know, like probation was up was one of the things it's like, Hey, we're going to celebrate this and they're going to do different competitions and sales competitions and stuff like that. I thought it was really rad and it was a fun article to, to read and, and things like that. But it also got me thinking just about employment in general. So some of the stuff that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks, Chris has been, has been employment and trying to get people hired right now is really tough. Now, pre-COVID and pre all this different stuff, it's very hard for people with any type of police record to get to get hired. So is this a solution where we can start bringing people in that way? And and I have this question for, for you, Dave. I mean, um, when we were talking about Hawaii and how things have ramped up really quickly, are you guys having problems out there getting people to work? Definitely. It's prob- probably one of the, the biggest concerns other than, you know, the COVID safety rules is just um, it's so hard to hire right now. We have a lot of people that are, they're still taking the free money. Um, maybe some people feel unsafe that some people have some, some health issues, but uh, hiring right now is, 
incredibly difficult. Um, I do think that that this provides a great example of, you know, a, a way to give people opportunities that, that we might not have considered for in our industry. Um, I'm definitely, I, I, I feel like incredibly blessed that I got to move to Hawaii and open a bar and become a, a, a successful person in our community, in our bar community or our restaurant industry. Um, but I also feel like, why wouldn't I take everything that I've learned over the last 25 years? I, I try to pass it on to all my employees, but I've been really thinking about a mentorship program where I could take uh, underprivileged, you know, local Hawaiian kid and mentor him to, to be one of the next best bartenders in Hawaii. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that's, that'd be way cool. That's a really, uh, that's a really great idea. You know, I I fall the same. I was literally just talking to uh, I I have this issue personally calling calling my employees employees because I I feel like they work incredibly hard and they're an integral part of the team, and I don't I feel more like team members than I feel like boss and employee. Um, but definitely, regardless of that. Um, I was talking to Carrie today, who works for us. Is someone who someone who came on and work to work with us uh, really recently? It's her birthday, I, right? It's her birthday today. That's right. And happy, uh, happy birthday, birthday Carrie. <laughs> and we, uh, you know, I have this um, uh, this uh, uh, consulting gig coming up that uh, Drew set me up with, and I've been a consultant in in bar and restaurant world for. <laughs> maybe 13 14 years um and so i've got a ton of experience in that and and carrie's young carrie's like 25 um and so i just offered her today because she listened to a meeting that i had and i was like hey if this is like a thing that you want to learn feel free to tag along and just like watch and observe and ask questions and learn um i'm more than happy because no one ever gave me that experience um and i think that like simply just Simply just being exposed uh, to nuts and bolts is a big deal. Um, Speaking of exposure, though, I feel like there's a couple false narratives that keep going around um, that both of these that we've touched on sort of two of these false narratives. Uh, One is that Drew and I have talked pretty, pretty intensely recently, and we keep touching base with each other about about bartenders and about servers not going back to work. Right. And, and there's this, like, there's this narrative sort of nationally that, that the service industry isn't going back to work because they're making more money sitting on their ass, which a, I feel like if that's something that you, that you believe you should, you probably investigate that feeling as to like why, why people are making more money sitting on their ass than going to work. And maybe we should fix that. But then also B, Drew and I have racked our brains and literally gone through the Rolodex of people that we know. And I, like, I legitimately can't think of a single person who's just sitting on their ass right now collecting unemployment. Um, I Everybody I know is working. 
either in the industry or if they've pivoted out of the industry. And I think a lot of people have pivoted out of the industry because it's more secure. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of them are making more money than they were when they were in the industry. So it's a really funny narrative that, uh, you know, people are blaming the industry for being lazy when really they're not lazy, but prior to this epidemic, uh, you know, they were saying, well, if you want a better job, go get a better job. And now people have gone to get a better job and they're saying that they're still lazy. What was the other thing? Thank you. The other thing is um, is gangs. Let's talk about gangs real quick. Um, uh, I grew up in New York City. I'm a white kid. Um, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, New York City. I experienced two different sorts of gangs. When I was in New Jersey, I, I experienced um, the Borgatas. Um, lots of Italian neighborhood uh, kids. This is like... This is like... Um, uh, uh, mafia 101, right? It's like the kids who get together, they run scams, they run numbers, um, they shoplift, they're just like their own community kids, um, Italian kids. And then when I moved to New York City, I was, uh, I w- went to uh, middle school with a bunch of kids who were in the Latin Kings, and a majority of my school was affiliated in that way. Uh, a lot of them were kings. And I think it's really important for people who haven't been exposed to that lifestyle to understand what that provides for people. Um, there's a there's a really uh, there's a strong sense of security inside of that lifestyle, even though that the sort of the longevity doesn't exist in sort of like a, like a a, a a wealthy, prosperous, healthy life where you die in your bed and sleep surrounded by your loved ones. Like that's just not the lifestyle. Um, but gangs, gangs aren't just, you know, people of color, inner city, quote unquote. And a perfect example of that also is like where Dave lives. Dave lives up on a hill, this, uh, in this pretty rad house and right in, uh, the, like a few blocks down the hill is the hood, right? This is your turn to talk, Dave. <laughs> oh, you got a little delay there. Um, yeah, I mean, where where I live, it's very privileged. I I look down from a view uh, into the the valley, and on the center of that valley is um, low income housing on definitely uh, some gangs and uh, definitely a little sketchier neighborhood from where from where my house is perched. So uh, very privileged with that. And, and I can relate to uh, what you had growing up. Uh, when I grew up in Los Angeles, um, it was it was more Mexican gangs, but uh, I was definitely a minority in my neighborhood. Um, and then I, my, my parents kept moving a little further north, um, and it progressively got, got whiter. Um, but... Uh, it's an interesting transition to to grow from growing up with friends of every race and color to then um, in high school. Uh, you know, it was basically ni- like ninety seven percent white. The school I went to, um, and just the attitude difference of of people. Um, it definitely taught me a huge lesson of just 
the importance of exposure to people. Like if you grow up and you go to a school with kids of all races and colors, you definitely get a better perspective and understanding. Um, and I think obviously a lot more tolerance. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely something that, you know, uh, my wife and I worry about now with, with our daughter and just growing up where we're at. It's like, hey, how do we make sure that we, um, that she has lots of different experiences and expose lots of different people and stuff like that? Like, I don't want her to be in the same situation that I was where I didn't even leave the country until I was 27 or 26, you know? So, you know, I, I think, you know, to kind of bring it back to, to, to this article, you know, this is a really cool program and hopefully it's one of those programs that we can implement in other parts of our industry. And, and Chris touched on it a little bit earlier in the conversation, you know, they do have a very strict um, kind of run up period and an interview process to the point where, you know, if you're late in the first two weeks, like, you know, you're out and then you, you can't apply again for another 90 days. So, you know, there's there's immediate immediate responsibility that's immediately thrust upon these guys, and um, and I think this thing is really interesting. So hopefully, what we'll what we'll end up seeing is more programs like this across our industry because this seems to be working and it seems to be very successful for them. And anytime that you can have success story and they can get the national attention that it's gotten, like again, this being featured in Forbes, it's it's good for everybody. So I really really hope that this program continues. And that it inspires more um, breweries, distilleries, what the hell ever. Like, let's just let's start bridging some gaps and and bringing in new people and giving in 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 this situation with some of those guys. It's like giving them a second chance, you know, to give back to their community and and build something really cool. So we'll leave it at that. You know who's dope? Them over there. All right, so now time for my favorite part of the show, which turns out it is Dave's favorite part of the show as well. So this is very validating for me because you know I've been saying this for a long time. Ooh, Chris, T-shirt idea. You know who's dope? Them over there. We got to do that shirt now. That's another another good bottle shirt. We're going to put that on there. How many of you guys would buy Um, that out there? Twelve. Yeah, everybody wants (laughs) <laughs> we'll take it. That's however, however many we need to get that, that soundboard. Um, so, okay. This is Dave's favorite section of the show. It's the dope follows. It can be Instagram accounts. It could be Facebook pages, books, podcasts, movies, whatever the hell it needs to be. We're going to shift the focus. The pressure is on Dave. Who are your dope follows? Okay, uh, I got I got two quick ones. The first one I started following a couple months ago. Uh, it's called Miserable Underscore Men on Instagram. And I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's basically a collection of pictures of guys who are just totally miserable because they're waiting for their women in department stores. So they're like passed out on chairs. <laughs> they like waiting for their women to come out of dressing room. And the one that popped up on my feed was Kanye West and Kim Kardashian ordering Kentucky Fried Chicken 
at like an electric kiosk in the first picture and then you swipe right on Kanye is eating fried chicken in a in a waiting chair in John Paul Gaultier. And I just I I died. Um so that that's one. And then the second quick one uh is more of a local thing. It's called Kookslands. It's also on Instagram. And it's just like we we love when you know we're jogging down the street with our homie and he falls down. It's just like getting a laugh out of other people's unfortunate experiences, and they almost all have to do with the ocean. So it's like girls trying to look all dope for an Instagram shot, and they get just wiped out by a wave. It's amazing. How do you spell that? Uh, Kook Slams is going to be K-O-O-K. And then just S-L-A-M-S. No no difference but like if you want to lose 20 30 minutes of your life of just like oh i gotta look at the next one i gotta look at the next one it's it's a great ig to follow i love how it's a verified account like that is the blue check mark (laughs) you gotta gotta love that blue check mark next to what a quote unquote local yeah Drew, okay. hit me, man. All right, Chris. Who are you, Chris, who are you going your, with? Chris. All right, I'll go first. Okay. All right, I'll go first. All right. So I'm, I'm very excited about this one. And I don't – and I feel like I have to know this person in some realm, but they haven't revealed themselves to me who they are just yet. But I was, I was going through my Instagram stories, and I got this recommendation to go follow, follow this account, right? And, um, so I click on it. It's, it's a Mezcal account and I'm like, Oh God, do I really need to follow another like Mezcal reviewer or something like that? Cause I don't really care what people think about Mez- Mezcal, like in terms of like their scores and ratings and stuff like that. And that's what this, this account does. But then I read their descript their bio and this is, and this is how it reads because Facebook should require a, a EDU email address. And I just was like, that is so fucking funny. And so for, for people who don't know, Facebook, when it first started, you used to have to have a college account in order to join it. And so for this person to reference that, because when I, when I first got on Facebook, we had to petition Facebook to add our school to it. So the fact that they didn't have an EDU address, so that's why they got an Instagram, is so funny to me. And I love it so much. But it's called Don't underscore mez like m-e-z underscore with underscore texas so obviously this person is is in texas and it's so it's don't mez with texas and i just love the fact that that's what they had in their bio and then and then from there they they drink a lot of my favorite mezcals and um they're really quick really quick notes um on flavor profiles and stuff like that, as well as like a little scoring system. And I haven't clicked through all of them yet, but I've, I've, I have agreed with most of their, most of their, I guess, reviews so far. So again, that's don't mess with Texas. And they did this Instagram account because they didn't have an EDU email. And I just find that so hilarious. And it obviously also dates me 
quite a bit too. So I've got that going for me. Um, Chris, who's your dope follow? Oh man, I'm going. I'm going off the cuff right now. Uh, mine is Floof Noodles. That is spelled F L O O F N O O D L E S. It's an official account of a ferret. This ferret cooks. This is a ferret and food account. And uh, yeah, it's as adorable and as ridiculous as it sounds. Yeah. Go follow Floof Noodles. You're welcome. Is this, did you just look this up? No. Or did you? I've been following Floof Noodles for a little while and I've been, I, I keep for, I, I, I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a social media whore. And so I follow like a lot of things and then I, I keep forgetting, uh, because I, a lot of my scrolling is at night when I'm like, uh, I have the phone over my head and I'm laying down on my pillow and I get tired and the phone smacks me in the face because it falls out of my hands and I got to pick it back up and keep looking at it. And then Jen makes fun of me for smack my face in the phone. And that's, that's most of my social media, um, at least enjoyment as opposed to like when I'm posting, which is typically during the day, trying to get like more attention for work and for my ridiculous lifestyles and whatnot. Um, and so stuff like floof noodles, makes me very happy to fall asleep at night. Like I'm like, yeah, floof noodles. And then I, you know, and then I can turn, I can end on a good floof noodles and I fall asleep. It's great. So, so this is, this is another pasta related account for you. Um, The last one being the, the grandma's making, making pasta, which actually turned out to be Uh, very therapeutic. Pasta grannies is fantastic. It is great. I totally, I totally agree. It, it does make me think of, um, I'm going to give another quick follow and I've done them before, but the Sporkful podcast did a four part series of, of them creating a new noodle. And it is amazing. Like if you have any appreciation for pasta at all, it's incredible. And it's called impossible, which I mean, for pun reasons alone is, is the best. So, um, so check that out as well. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw in another additional don't follow because the four part impossible thing it's it's life changing. It's amazing what goes into creating pasta. But those are don't follow. Those are great. Awesome. We did it. Wait, do you guys do you guys follow the Titty Kitchen? Do we follow what? I think it's called the Teeny Kitchen. What do we follow? Teeny yeah. Kitchen. T E E. Do you guys follow Teeny Kitchen M? No. Let's see, I don't. Uh, it, it's it's insane. This guy has like a miniature stove, miniature knife, miniature pans, pots, all the whole thing, and he makes. An entire meal, like like legit meal, like the size of a quarter. I have uh I've seen these. They've they've like popped up in uh I don't follow him. I, I am now officially done. 
followed. Uh, but I've seen these on YouTube a lot. Like I've seen these videos that are like stop motion. It's like, you know, flipping, flipping an egg with like a tiny little uh, spatula that he requires tweezers to flip all that. It's great. All right, so I'll say something that in this is a great way may come across as terribly inappropriate. So a uh, uh, hundred years ago, I wanted to create a bar called we'll Mini Bar. We'll catch it offline. Mm. And I know Mini Bar. Where's everything? It, Mexico, be... Arizona, something like that. Yes. But everything would be uh, cocktails, but they would be like everything would be like a half an ounce total. The, the the terrible part is that Chris and I, uh, back in the day when we was going to uh, Portland Cocktail Week, there was a, a a gentleman's club that featured Tiny Tuesdays. So my concept was built around Tiny Tuesdays um, and Tiny Kitchen. So it's absolutely Tiny Tuesdays is a, these are the rabbit holes. Is a great thing. Uh, my wife and I, at many times during during Portland Cocktail Week, have been to many strip clubs in Portland. Because in Portland, it's less lascivious. It's more just like a culturally driven thing. You want a taco, cool, go get a taco also. Go stare at a taco type of thing. Um, and uh, uh, But when a, a friend of ours went uh, uh, was at getting us to come out and enjoy the Portland nightlife. She was like, Chris, we're going to tiny Tuesdays. Let's go. And I was like, yeah, down dope. And, uh, I told my wife who was not my wife at that point in time. I was like, Jen, we're going to tiny Tuesdays. And she's like, Nope, we're not. <laughs> That's where she drew the line. Like stripper. Okay. Fine. You sing people strip behind you. Done. Fine. All, all you want. Uh, I, I don't know the politically correct term anymore. Uh, uh, small people, uh, a stripper, uh, stripper extravaganza of small people, uh, vertically challenged, uh, height abled. I don't, I don't know the right words. Uh, I apologize, everyone. Um, uh, night of entertainment though was uh, apparently off the books. So, I, I've never been to Tiny Tuesdays, and I, I feel like my life is uh, less because of it. Permanently closed due to COVID. Oh, no! Good Bottle Podcast is brought to you by Fluid Concepts. Music beautifully engineered and produced by the Brothers More because we always just want a little bit more. This podcast has been terribly produced by these two guys. And before we go kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please smash, smash, like smash, brothers, smash that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. No, I don't mean a four-star review. Yes, I mean a five-star review. It's not easy. I get it, but it helps us a lot. So thank you. 
Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, dgarrison6 and Chris Sinflair. Uh, you can also support the podcast by buying some merch. Go get yourself a cool shirt. We're going we're gonna to put more of them on there. And uh, Dave, if people want to follow you on the social medias, where, where can they find you? Uh, you can check me out at bartender808 on Instagram. It's pretty much the main one I use. If right on, right on. you would like for us to cover a story or if you are uh, working with a brand that would like to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers, guys. Yes. One final rest in note. peace, Tiny Tuesday. Tiny Tuesdays, rest in peace. One final note. If you would like to access our merch store, I am going to be dropping that link into the show notes. So click on those and get that and copy and paste that shit into your, your URL. Peace out, y'all.